0: You know it well, that three years ago, the Lord spoke to me and said that this year, the year of 2019, would be a year of fruitfulness for PCF. A year of fruitfulness, believe this, a year of fruitfulness for the city of Los Angeles in in terms of the spirit of this city. That is to say, the spiritual situation of Los Angeles. The Lord desires to bring repentance into the heart of the people of Los Angeles. The Lord desires to bring salvation to the people of Los Angeles. The Lord desires to bring help to the hurting, healing to the sick, deliverance to those who are oppressed, clarity and truth to those who are confused and deceived. And the Lord wants to do that through us, These are the things that the Lord has done to us, for us. We have been healed. Yes, raise your hand if the Lord has physically healed you in your life. I've had a physical healing. Look at that. Look at that. Keep them up. Look at that. Look what God has done. That's fruit. You see that? Raise your hand if the Lord has ever delivered you from something which had you bound. Hallelujah. That is fruit. Raise your hand if you've been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. That is eternal, everlasting fruit. Lift up praise to the Lord this morning. Thank you, Lord God. Salamat po panginohon. Maraming salamat po panginohon. Forever and ever. Amen. So we have experienced these things. And if we have experienced these things of the Lord, then we are his witnesses. We are his disciples disciples will you say that word disciples Disciples. you know to be a disciple is to be one who learns and is ready to learn as I was meeting with the pastoral staff yesterday we talked about the value of lifelong learning that in order to be a good servant to the Lord and the people of the Lord we have to be someone determined to learn, positioned to learn, committed to learn, saying, I'm I'm going to be focused on learning the things of the Lord. I'm going to be focused on reading the word of the Lord. I'm going to be focused on seeking the will of the Lord. Those are things that don't just happen accidentally. They happen intentionally. To be a disciple is to be someone who intends to follow the Lord and who commits to follow the Lord. It's not an easy pathway. Jesus never said it would be easy. He said his yoke was light and easy. That is, he does not put a burden upon us. But the pathway is narrow. And there are few, Jesus said, there are few that find it. But those who do find it, find a rich reward within it. The Lord gives us a helper, his very own Holy Spirit. And by that Holy Spirit, you and I can not only walk the pathway of the disciple, but we can produce the fruit of discipleship, which is the fruit of the Spirit being born out of us, which are the gifts of the Spirit being supplied to us for the benefit of others, for the equipping of the body, for the working the works of the kingdom. And also the Lord gives us the strength in His Spirit to stand in the spirit. Having done all, as Paul says in the book of Ephesians, to stand, armored by the things of the Lord, armored by the word, armored by the spirit, with a shield of faith, with salvation renewing our mind. All of these things are fruitfulness for the disciple, not just for the one who lays claim to Jesus with words, right? Uh, as Pastor Danny preached to us last week, don't just talk the talk, but walk the talk. Papa, no more be Tagalog, walk. Okay, so Pastor Angie, say walk the talk in Tagalog. Oh, what? Okay, there you go. Salamat po, Pastor Ned. Walk the talk. Not just for those who claim to be followers of Jesus, but for those who show themselves to be followers of Jesus. In the scripture that we will look at today, in John chapter 15, Jesus says that if we are actually his disciples, we have a relationship with him that is organic and intimate. Will you say those two things? Organic and intimate. Organic means it grows, it's natural, but it requires a certain situation or relationship. We could say it is relational. In other words, you can say a great many things about what you believe, and you can make your list of your of statements of belief, and that's not without value. But if you don't actually have the relationship with Jesus Christ, then all those statements are for naught. But now let me, let me put it to you this way also. You can be confused about a few things. I won't ask people to raise their hand if you've been confused, but I'll raise mine. Look at me, I'm someone who has been confused in my life. And sometimes I've been confused by the Lord. Well, he, he is a mighty God, but he doesn't always do what we expect. And we certainly don't always understand what he does. But we have this assurance. If we are living in him, following him, trusting him, He's living in us so that even if we don't understand and even if we get it wrong sometimes, and friends, we get it wrong sometimes, he will do right. He will produce growth in us. So internal disciple growth is a kind of fruitfulness. And external discipling work is another kind of fruitfulness. In other words, a year of fruitfulness is a year in which you and I commit to following the lord and experience the blessings that come from that but a year of fruitfulness is also a year in which you and i as we grow in the lord we are equipped by the lord to do the works that he has called us to do so we multiply next week in this series we're going to look at genesis chapter 1 verse 28 when the lord said to human beings that's us folks Brothers and sisters, the Lord said, be fruitful and multiply. And it is a statement which he repeats throughout the scriptures. Even Jesus lays claim to this statement or uses this statement to illustrate what it means for us to be his followers. This is not just about biological reproduction. certainly included that. But remember in John chapter one, how we are told that when Jesus came to his own and his own did not receive him, nevertheless, as many as did receive him, which means they took his life into theirs, they gave their life to him. They abided in him and he abided in them. That's what it means. To as many as abided in him, he gave them the right to become what? Children of God, sons and daughters of God. Do you hear in that the multiplication of fruitfulness? we are told that Jesus is the first fruit of the kingdom. That is the firstborn of many brethren, as Paul says in Romans chapter eight. That means that you and I are part of the multiplication of Jesus' life on earth. And you and I are equipped by the spirit when we are fruitful, when we are abiding in Christ and he in us, we are equipped to see that multiplication advanced. Think of yourself as an exponent. Now I'm not a great math guy, I'll tell you, but you know that little number up to the right of another number, right? That provides an exponential increase. It's not just multiplication, it's exponential multiplication. Well, Jesus is really the exponent, I suppose. Jesus is the one who comes and by his spirit gives us the capacity to exponentially multiply the life of the kingdom here on earth. And that's what we are called to do. That is a year of fruitfulness as well. So inner devotional life, outer discipling work, and thirdly, growth of the kingdom. That's what a year of fruitfulness is about. As we come to the word today, let us pray and ask the Lord to multiply our faith to exponentially grow our faith by his word. Father God, we love you. We thank you for this new year. We thank you for 2019. We believe, Lord, that this is a year which you have said to us will be fruitful, but we know that does not mean that it will be without challenge, and we know that does not mean that it will necessarily be easy, but we do believe, Lord, that you will make it fruitful. We desire, to renew our commitment to you. Or perhaps today there's someone within the sound of this prayer and it's the first time to make that commitment. Lord, we ask that you would work upon our hearts in such a way that we would yield to you, that we would receive your word, and that we would believe your word, and that we would exponentially grow in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you've probably never heard a sermon that began referencing an underwear commercial, but now you have. I wanna to talk to you about an underwear commercial. I don't know if anyone will get this reference or even remember it, but it used to be years ago that there was a long-standing advertising campaign for a line of undergarments that were known by the brand Fruit of the Loom. You ever heard of Fruit of the Loom? Do you remember, I don't know if you saw them, the old commercials where a whole uh, gaggle, a whole group of guys would appear, and they were all in fruit costumes. There was a cluster of grapes. There was one that was an apple. There was one that was a leaf. They They were the fruit of the loom. I used to watch that as a kid, and I could not for the life of me understand why fruit was being used to advertise underwear. What on earth does fruit have to do with underwear? And and for that matter, what is a loom and how does a loom have fruit? Well, you, you probably know what a loom is. I actually saw an old fashioned loom at work. I've probably seen it a few times, but one of the times that most impressed itself upon me was about 20 years ago almost when I visited the land of Morocco. God bless Morocco. It's a beautiful country filled with beautiful people in need of a great witness of the Lord. I was part of a uh, mission team, short-term mission team that was going to Morocco on a prayer journey and uh, 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 international uh, friendship mission. And so we found ourselves in a small coastal city in North Africa along the Mediterranean. And it is a city that as you walk through it, you could easily imagine that it was 2000 years ago. You feel as though Jesus might walk around the corner because it has the same kind of, Um, atmosphere, the same kind of climate, the same kind of architecture that you would find in Israel in many places. Very beautiful seaside town with these sort of rocky homes. And in one of them, there was a woman with a huge wooden loom. Of course, this is the weaving device by which garments and other textile products can be produced. So on this loom, she was moving the aperture back and forth in order to craft some beautiful and elegant piece of cloth. And as I watched her doing that, I felt as though I were transported back in time. There's something viscerally satisfying, I think, about seeing that kind of work, the work of your hands, and it's literally coming together right in front of you. And as I watched her do it with such expertise, it was fascinating to see the, the garment actually grow in length just during the short time that we were there. And what she was producing was, of course, the fruit of the loom. That is to say, she wasn't making underwear so far as I know. (laughs) I didn't stick around long enough to see, but I, I highly doubt it. But that is to say, fruit of the loom is the product of this piece of machinery. And even more than that, it is the product of her labor. In other words, fruit is productivity. Fruit is that which is produced by labor or by, as we've talked about, an organic relationship. So when we see a tree bear fruit, we all immediately recognize that as fruit. But if I come to your workplace, if you work for instance in an office, or let us say you are a student and I come to uh, your study place and I see the work that you have done, I can say this is the fruit of your labor. It is what you have produced, or it is what has been produced in the process of however you have been spending your time and where you've been putting your focus. 2019, a year of fruitfulness is a year of focusing on the fruitfulness of the Lord. We are gonna talk in future days, in future weeks, about the fact that there is good fruit and bad fruit. In other words, Let me tell you this, as promising as a year of fruitfulness is, it will only be productive in the things of the kingdom if you and I are focused on the king. Let me say that again. A year of fruitfulness will only be productive in the things of the kingdom if you and I are focused on the king. If we're focused on the world, we will produce the fruit of the world, which does not have a lasting value in the kingdom. Or, at the very least, we will fail to produce the fruit of the king. But if we are focused on Jesus and abiding in Jesus, then the fruitfulness which will take place in and through us will be his. And the works that we will do will be his works. And because they will be multiplied, Jesus says, even greater works, greater in the multiplication of them greater in the fact that you and I are able to participate in them despite our unworthiness, but because of his worthiness. So I draw your attention to John chapter 15 and the first eight verses of this passage. I will read it for you. I am, says Jesus, I am the true vine. And my father, says Jesus, is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, the father takes away and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it. Notice here, I have included parenthetically, he also cleanses it. That is because in the Greek passage, the word that is used for pruning is the same word that is used for cleansing. It's a word that was used at the time to refer to ritualistic cleansing, even in secular Greek. In other words, even in Greek that was not related to Jewish or Christian practice, this term was used to refer to ceremonial cleansing as well as pruning of a plant. And so bear both of those meanings in mind as you read it because they're both intended. Uh, I believe here that Jesus in his speaking of it and John in his recording of it is intentionally making us aware that pruning and cleansing go together. Turn to the person next to you and say, pruning and cleansing go together. And the reason for pruning and cleansing is made clear here, so that the branch will bear more fruit, multiplication. You are already cleaned, Jesus says to the disciples, or you are already pruned because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, Jesus says, and I in you. Let's say that together. Read these words in yellow. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. This is obvious, right? If I, if I go out and I buy a lovely bouquet for my wife, which I don't do often enough, but sometimes and I bring it home and I put it, or she puts it in a vase. She does it very quickly. She's very good about that. Nevertheless, those blossoms are not going to continue to bloom. There's a shelf life uh, on those blossoms, right? And they're not going to produce additional blossoms, nor are they going to produce what comes typically after the blossom, which is full-born fruit. They're not going to do that because they've been truncated, they've been cut off they're no longer attached to the source of life. It's obvious and plain and clear, and Jesus is saying the same thing. He's saying, if you are not genuinely connected to me, there's no way, no way that you can grow and produce the fruit of the kingdom. But if you are connected to me, Jesus is saying, there's really no way that you won't. What a promise. What an assurance. What a beautiful bouquet that is. And a fine fragrant scent of the things of the Lord. I am the vine, Jesus says, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in them, they bear much fruit. We will talk this year also about another fact found in the scriptures. Jesus himself stating in Matthew 7 that you will know them by their fruit. In other words, Jesus is saying, if you're abiding in me, you will bear fruit. And here is something by which you can know one another and others can know you. If you aren't bearing fruit, you aren't in me. But if you are bearing fruit, then you are in me. And if you are in me, you will bear fruit. Apart from me, Jesus says, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not abide in me is thrown away as a branch and dries up. This is something that believers should be particularly concerned about because the analogy here is to a branch. That is not to a plant that has never been grafted in, but to a growth that was already in the vine. Now, I don't want to cause fear for anyone's salvation, but I have to be honest to the word of the Lord as well. What Jesus is saying is you may have had a connection But if it is not producing fruit, it's not a valid connection. It's not a valuable connection. It's not a vital connection. It's just a drain. This is not, I think, something that should ever cause anyone who has put their faith in Jesus Christ to to question whether they have somehow fallen away from the Lord in a, in a manner in which they cannot be restored. What it is to do is to say, if your life is not producing the fruit of the kingdom, seek the Lord before the vine dresser comes to prune. Because even if you are not yet pruned, the pruning shears are in his hand. This is what Jesus has said. Anyone who does not abide in me is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words, my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. It's so dangerous, isn't it, that Jesus makes these kinds of statements. Ask anything in my name and it'll be done for you. Ask whatever you wish. But remember that these statements always come in the context of a relationship. What he is saying is, if you're really in me and I'm really in you, you can ask whatever you will. You know why? Because if you are abiding in Jesus Christ and he is abiding in you, your desire is for the will of the Father. So what you will is what God will and you will ask for the things that God desires. And if somewhere you earnestly and honestly don't understand what it is that God desires, Jesus will still produce the good fruit through you. And the Lord will answer your prayers in a way in which his will is fulfilled and your heart is fulfilled. This is the promise of fruitfulness. And this is also the way in which Father God is glorified. Think of that. The word here, involves or includes the notion that this is worship to God that that real worship to God is producing the fruit that he desires for us to produce and that's something that we can only do if he is in us but we cannot help but do when he is in us so we are actually worshiping the Lord when we are living a fruitful life fruitful in the things of the kingdom and it evidences it shows that we are disciples. In Romans, Paul says, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and perfect and acceptable will of the Lord. To prove it is that you will show it. You will demonstrate it. And so here also when Jesus says, by being fruitful, you will prove that you are my disciples, what he's saying is you'll give evidence of it. You'll give the testimony of it. We've been called to be witnesses in the court of humanity. And the testimony that we are to give must include the evidence of the fruit of God at work in us. The fruit of the kingdom, the fruit of the spirit, the gifts of the spirit, the works of the Lord. And Jesus says, in order to have that, you must abide in me. And if you abide in me, you will have that evidence and it will be irrefutable evidence. That doesn't mean that nobody can deny it. What it means is it will be God's evidence. It will have the weight of the kingdom behind it. It will accomplish the works of the kingdom through it. So in this passage, there are three things that I'd like us to focus on today as we consider being fruitful. One is to be fruitful as a follower of Jesus is to submit to pruning for productivity. Will you say that? Pruning for productivity. I'm going to try this. Pineputulan at mililininis? Kind of close. Cut and cleaned, right? Cut and cleaned. Nobody likes. To be the idea of being cut and cleaned if you'll forgive me if it's too graphic being cut and cleaned was the sign of the covenant in the days of Abraham and each generation the productive member of that generation the means of fatherhood involved being cut and cleaned This is not to say that circumcision is a requirement of Christianity, but rather to say that it is a sign for us of how it is that the Lord says this produces fruitfulness and exponential generational growth. So we must submit to that if we are going to submit to the Lord and if we are going to be fruitful. If we haven't been fruitful, then the pruning will produce greater fruitfulness in us. And if we have been fruitful, the pruning will still expand and compound our capacity for fruitfulness. Likewise, we must commit to abiding in Christ. Say, abiding in Christ. If you stay with me, I'll stay with you, right? If, If you abide with me, I'll abide with you. I want to repeat what I said earlier. It doesn't just happen accidentally. There aren't accidental disciples. It's an intentional commitment. Certainly the Lord has committed to us. And in that, there is an expectation. This is a component of faith. This is an exercise of faith to expect that if I have submitted to pruning and am submitted to pruning because by the way pruning is an ongoing process abiding is an ongoing process it's particularly evident in the Greek of the original text that these are verbs which are not just one time but are an ongoing way of living so I continually submit to pruning after all when you prune a plant once it doesn't mean you never prune it again it there are prunings seasonally often and in the same way the way a plant continues to grow is not just having been connected to the vine once, like those flowers in a vase, but being connected to the vine now and always. And that is committed to abiding to Christ. And in that there is a reasonable and even a necessary expectation that the empowering fruitfulness, which God has promised will be brought about. Nagbabunga nang sagana. It produces so much. It grows so much when we are growing in him. Hallelujah. So let us look a little bit closer at these three things. Pruning for productivity. First of all, I wanna make a comment here about Jesus's statement. I am the vine. I am the true vine. I am the real vine. The idea here is of authenticity. I am the authentic vine. In other words, I'm the vine that other vines are modeled after. Imagine that. By saying I am the true vine, Jesus is essentially saying I'm real growth. Every other kind of growth in the world is just a shadow or a model echo, a reflection of me. That's what he's saying here. What he's saying is if you want to know what real growth is and where real growth comes from, I am. I am. Now, you may be aware that in the book of John, there are seven I am statements of Jesus. Seven times where Jesus says, I am. And I won't reiterate all of them for you, but you're familiar with some of them. For instance, when Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. In which uh, manner Jesus made it clear that though he was fully human, he was also fully divine. The manifestation of the God that no one had ever seen before, except that Jesus manifests it. When Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he was making an I am statement. And so in the book of John, here in John chapter 15, which, by the way, takes place on the last night of Jesus' earthly life, that is to say on the night before his sacrifice, the night before his crucifixion, the night when he dined and set this table, which you and I will dine at in just a few minutes, is the night when he spoke these things and said, I am the true vine it is the seventh you know that that's a number that is divine in its perfection a number of creation a number of God a number of fullness and completion and here he says I am the true vine and he is referring to the great I am he is utilizing the covenant name of God even the very name that Moses heard from the Lord when in Exodus chapter 3 Moses encountered the burning bush a bush that was a light and a fire with the power of God but rather than wearying withering in that fire or being destroyed it continued to flourish it is itself that bush that burning bush a vision of fruitfulness and the power of the holy spirit producing that fruitfulness there the lord said i am who i am the great covenant name of god yahweh as best as we can render it so jesus is saying i am the lord i am god and i am the source of life now why is it that he might particularly be prompted to utilize the metaphor of a vine. There's a couple of things that would be worth our attention. Although we cannot say this for a certainty, it is possible that at the very time that Jesus was making this statement in John chapter 15, he and his disciples were passing by the golden vine of the temple. Now, this is not the best uh, rendering of it, perhaps. Uh, I tried to find a good photo online and there isn't a very good photo online but the temple which of course no longer exists at that time was very much in existence and it had on around one of its uh, major doorways this golden vine why is it that the golden vine was there and what makes me say that jesus and his disciples might have been walking by it at that time well first of all we know from the previous chapters and the other gospels um so for instance john 13 and 14 and elsewhere that the disciples were gathered in an upper room prior to the celebration of or in celebration of the Passover and they were dining in that upper room. The traditional side of that upper room is close to the Temple Mount. We know that later Jesus and his disciples left. In fact, in John chapter 14, the chapter ends with Jesus saying, let's get up and go. And then John chapter 15 begins. The implication is that they've eaten their meal. Judas has gone out, they have Uh, concluded that portion of the evening, and now they are walking together from the Temple Mount down the Kidron Valley and up the Mount of Olives where Jesus will be in prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. Are you tracking with me? So if we were to chart that course, they would have walked by this. Imagine, if you will, Jesus and his disciples on that night having experienced such a powerful uh, discussion already, Jesus washing the feet of the disciples. You're already clean because of the word that I have said to you. Jesus feeding his disciples, his body and blood, abide in me and I'll abide in you. And now they're walking by and Jesus says, you know, I'm the true vine. This vine that you see here, it represents me. This temple that you see, I am before the temple. In fact, Jesus had said, tear this temple down and three days later, I'll raise it up. So Jesus is identifying with the works of the Lord the reason the vine was placed on the temple is because in the Old Testament scriptures the vine is used as a metaphor for Israel repeatedly I've provided just a few examples there are many more but for instance in the first seven verses of Isaiah chapter 5 it describes a vineyard that the Lord has planted and it makes plain that that vineyard is Israel in Jeremiah 2 Israel is described as having been planted like a choice vine. In Ezekiel, notice these are all the pro, all prophets. Ezekiel 19 it describes Israel as having been planted, or having been produced by a vine. When the when the Lord through the prophet says your mother was a vine, what he is saying is you have grown as a vine, as a nation. And Jesus himself tells a parable. It's often called the a parable of the wicked husbandmen which is kind of an antiquated way of describing the servants who worked in a vineyard but you may remember in mark chapter 12 that Jesus tells a parable about a, a master who planted a vineyard and then hired people to care for that vineyard and then sent his emissaries his representatives to to get some of the fruit from the vineyard and what did the workers do they beat up and killed the ones that he sent. So the master said, well, I'll send my son. Surely they will treat him better. But instead, the wicked workers also beat up and killed the son. And so Jesus says, what do you think the master will do? He'll find other workers for the vineyard so that he can receive of its fruitfulness. Now listen, there's much that could be said about that parable. And today's focus is not to uh, to teach specifically on it. But I want to make this point. Jesus makes clear that the Lord intends to receive of fruitfulness. Not because God is greedy, but because it is his purpose to produce life. It is his purpose in creation to create and to magnify and to multiply. It is his purpose for what he created to be fruitful and multiply. So when Jesus is saying, I am the true vine, he is also making a comparison to what Israel has been. Because in each of these passages, the irony is, The vine of Israel is being criticized by the Lord. They are a critique. The Lord is saying, I planted a good garden and you failed in it. Go back in your mind to Genesis chapter three and recognize that this is not just a statement about Israel alone, but in a very real sense, it reflects all of humanity. We all began in a garden. God planted us there, if you will. It says that out of the earth we were created, man and woman. And God made us stewards over that garden, and we failed because we failed to believe him, because we denied his word, because in the form of the first man and the first woman, Adam and Eve, we betrayed God. And so also Israel, though chosen by God, has many examples in which it has failed. Let me say, friends, you and I have those examples in our lives too. God chose us. We didn't choose him. But we've fallen short of him many times, have we not? Jesus is saying, fortunately, I'm the real vine. If you will abide in me, you'll still grow and you'll multiply. What does it mean to abide in the Christ. This is the key theme of this passage. In John 15 verses 1 through 16, the word abide is used nine times. That repetition in such a short order clearly uh, distinguishes abide as the central command, the central directive, the central goal of the verse of Jesus's exhortation there. Now, I don't want to belabor a point that some might find to be a little bit of, a, of a, an interpretive strain. But the reality is that in Judaic culture, numbers have meaning. Nine is the highest single digit number. So in the Hebrew mindset, nine was a number of power, of growth, of multiplication because it's as high as a single digit number could, could go. There's something about the unity of a single digit number and yet the magnificence, the largeness, the largesse of nine that describes both an integrity of being and an expansiveness of power or, or portent. Interestingly enough, the number three has reference to the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead. And if you, if you uh, exponentially Increase three that is three squared is nine So here in the number nine may I suggest that there is at least in the Hebraic mindset the notion of the Holy Spirit multiplying to the utmost increase and perhaps it is not coincidental though it surely could not have been the intent of John in writing his gospel and it was probably not the intent of Paul in writing to the Galatians or to the Corinthians, nevertheless, it just so happens that there are nine times when Jesus says, abide in the vine in John chapter 15, and there are nine fruit of the spirit described in Galatians 5.22, and there are nine gifts of the spirit described in 1 Corinthians 12. Now, I do not mean to say that this is an absolute parallel, nor do I want to mislead anyone into thinking there are only nine fruit of the Spirit, or that there are only nine gifts of the Spirit. But perhaps the Holy Spirit, in His wisdom, has intended something in this correlation that you and I can appreciate, which is that abiding in Christ is connected to bearing the fruit of the Spirit, that abiding in Christ is connected to receiving and administering the gifts of the Spirit, that they're connected and that they are about the Holy Spirit multiplying to the utmost those things which God desires to do in and through his people. So as we abide, we receive and we are empowered to give. I want to, at this time of the year, particularly challenge you to make a commitment if you have not already, to read the word of the Lord as an act of abiding in Jesus Christ. You know, the beginning of a new year is a good time for resolutions. It's a good time for reflection and recommitment. There's no bad time to decide to start reading the Bible. But it is a good time to consider what role does it play in your life? How often are you reading the word? You know, I think I have mentioned that I have a a scripture calendar on my desk. That is a very minimal digestion of the word. But let me say to you, if you have no regular daily Bible reading, go out and get a page a day verse and read it out loud. Put it on the dashboard of your car, put it in your purse or your wallet or your book bag. Look at it while you're on the train or while you're on the bus. And let that be a living seed of God's word in you every day. Now, I wouldn't say stop there. I'm just saying you could start there. I don't want to be legalistic about this. But if we are to believe that Jesus is saying abide in me as an ongoing act, there are ways in which we can make an intentional commitment. You're never going to read through the whole Bible by accident. And if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, you need to read the whole Bible. Not just as a, as a check mark on your to-do list, but because the full counsel of God is given to you. Why would you and I avoid that? How dare we avoid it? And why would we want to miss out on the full resonance of it? Yes, some parts are more interesting than others, but no word of God is is without value to you no word of god is without value to you and in fact you will not grow as a disciple if you're not growing as a student of the word if you're not growing as a scholar of the scriptures you don't have to be a bible student you don't even have to be a good reader you can get your phone and go to to you version or the bible app and get a, a daily bible reading plan that'll read to you you can listen to it with your earbuds there's a point of fruitfulness, let your earbuds blossom this year with the word of the Lord. You don't even have to be able to read. You can be blind and still have the word of God in your spirit every day. You know, if you have never, let's say you are a regular reader of the word. It's already a part of your life. I want to challenge you to go further. Have you read an entire book all the way through? You could read one chapter of Proverbs a day and finish in a month. There's 31 Proverbs there. Let's say that you have uh, read much of the scripture throughout your life but you've never read all the way through the New Testament. Do you know that there are between 260 and 261 weekdays in any given year? I don't know what the number is for 2019. I haven't checked yet. But there is always either 260 or 261 Monday through Fridays in any given year. And it just so happens that that is exactly the number of chapters in the New Testament. 260 chapters in the New Testament. If you simply said, I'm gonna to start today reading one chapter a day, which is really not very much reading. Some chapters are longer than others, but a lot of times you're only talking about 40 verses. You can read it in a relatively brief amount of time. You will have the entire New Testament read in one year. In fact, you'll probably finish early. You'll have the benefit of Sunday, Saturday and Sunday to catch up if you fall behind it's possible to read two to three chapters of the Old Testament in a year and do the same. I wanna encourage you to go further. However much of the word you've read, read more this year. However much of the word you've studied, study more this year. Do it prayerfully, do it joyfully. If you fall behind, that's fine. Nobody's grading you on it. The point is not to have a perfect record The point is to abide in Christ and his word to be living in you. It makes a dramatic difference. If you do this for 30 days, you read a chapter of the Bible with a commitment, I'm going to do this. I'm going to carve out time. You do that for 30 days. I guarantee you, your life will reflect the impact. Empowering fruitfulness will be the impact. The result will be that it produces so much. I'm gonna ask if those who are serving from the communion table to us today would come forward. Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Jesus does not make idle promises. He is not in the business of falsehood and deceit. Jesus said this, it is true. And here before us are the evidence of it. Jesus himself, though he is God, did not expect us to believe him simply because he is God. He said, I don't bear witness to myself. Father God and the Holy Spirit bear witness to me. But if you don't believe them, believe the works that I do. And this is the work of God that his only begotten son, whom he loved so much, nevertheless, because of his love for us, who were sinners, we were the ones who betrayed him and destroyed the vineyard. He loved us nevertheless so much that he gave his only begotten son, that by the breaking of his body and the shedding of his blood, you and I could abide in him and he would abide in us.